Hey everybody, this is Chelsea Schaefer and Caitlin Dustoff, and this is The Score, the official podcast of the sport of team roping. This is the Team Roping Journal's semi-weekly podcast, highlighting the team roping industry's top talents and influencers through stories that inspire and connect ropers. We sit down with ropers from the professional ranks, as well as industry icons and producers to delve into topics that make the team roping world tick. This is season two. It will feature even deeper interviews, storytelling, and issue-based coverage, and we are so excited you're here. Before we get started, we've got to thank our sponsors at Fastback Ropes. They're presenting this week's episode, and they just launched a new rope, the Cobalt. Similar in diameter to the Excalibur, this rope will appeal to ropers who prefer more tip weight and less body or bounce, and we'll tell you more about it later in this episode. If you can't wait, head on over to fastbackropes.com and check it out. Travis Tryon's Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame head horse, Walt, registered with the AQHA as Precious Spec, was a four-time AQHA PRCA head horse of the year in 2003, and then from 2007 the whole way to 2009. The horse was iconic for a whole lot more than his signature fluffy forelock and always forward ears, and he shaped the careers of both Travis and Clay Tryon. Travis was just a kid trying to make it on the rodeo road when he got Walt, but on him, he quickly became the youngest team roper ever to accrue over $1 million in earnings. Walt is the first rope horse, first hopefully of many, in the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame, inducted in 2015, a little over five years after he died warming up for slack in Clovis, California. Walt's story underscores how critical great horses are in rodeo, and unfortunately, how fleeting their time on earth really is. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being on the score. I do you listen to podcasts. You can I say no. Some, I do listen to like the Dan Patrick show and stuff. So the Dan do Patrick I listen? Show. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Sports podcast. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Your brother also tells me that he listens to sport podcasts because mine needs to be really good for him to start wanting to listen to it. So hopefully well, one listen, of these days. Well, I'll listen to it now because now I'll know where to listen. Good, good. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, hey, so I don't know. Are you, I want to talk about Walt because we've been doing these special horse episodes. I mean, we did one on Scooter. And that was kind of the first one we did. And so obviously Walt has to be on the list if we're doing episodes with all the, all the great horses. There's, there's no way to do one without doing Walt. So I don't well, know if you appreciate that. I don't know if you're sick of talking about the horse yet or not. Like, is that, is, can you get sick of talking about him? No, you know, because he was, he was, he was family to me. So mm-hmm. I don't think you ever get, uh, get sick of talking about family. So, I mean, to me, it's like, you know, a lot of these kids that are 20 years old, they were, and that was nine years ago that he died. So, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a long long time ago these kids didn't even probably remember him a lot of times so i mean yeah i love talking about him i think he's the greatest horse that's ever been i'm partial to him of course but i mean he just did so much stuff that i see a lot of horses and i've been on a lot of horses that they can't do it yeah absolutely i i agree i think i think we learn so much from kind of talking about and learning about these great horses it it teaches it teaches a lot. So I'm glad you are not sick of talking about Walt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, let's, so his registered name was Precious Speck. 
Tell me, he was born. Tell me about Walt that raised him. How did you know the man who raised this horse? Well, he lived in the Northwest, which, you know, it's about seven hours from us. So we'd see him occasionally, occasionally at jackpots and, uh, about once a year. And we just, you know, they had the BDR classic, uh, in the fall in October when we were younger. And that's when we'd see him and you'd see him around occasionally at some jackpots, but we didn't run into him a lot. We just knew that he roped good and he had good horses. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad was actually calling around looking for horses, and he called Rich Carpenter. And Rich Carpenter is the one that uh, that's good friends with him, lives up in Kalispell, and uh, which Walt was over by Polson area. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how he he goes. If I was looking for one, that's what I'd go try. So. Hmm. Now let's take it back. Do you know what his, I mean, how much does, how much did Walt ranch on this horse? What was his background before he was 10 by the time you got him? Right. So yeah, he was 10. And, uh, well, when we went up there to try him, uh, funny story is he, he showed up, he was unloaded out of the trailer, saddled on. I mean, it was probably, I don't know. It was probably eight, nine o'clock at night. He was at a jackpot tied off healing on him. Mm Mm-hmm at a round robin earlier mm-hmm. that day. And then, you know, when we woke up at seven in the morning, every horse was saddled on his place, standing there eating, including him. Mm-hmm. And he said that he rode him and ranched on him out there. And, and he told me, he said, he's not a kid's horse because, uh, when he was raising John Vermindahl, that he, uh, he was riding him and he run off with him out in the pasture. Hmm. So he just knew, and he, he just rode him and he just, ranched on him and did all the cowboy stuff you'd do. In fact, I tried him in split reins and no tie down. <laughs> so we put a tie down on him right away. Cause I'm like, Hey, I think we're going to need one. So. <laughs> was, so when you put a tie down, was he overwhelmingly fast at the beginning? Like, did you have to do anything to him, slow him down, anything like that? I mean, obviously you didn't slow him down long-term, but did you have to back him off or anything? The, the one thing that he wasn't used to doing a little bit was he stood there and scored pretty good. But, uh, when Walt had him, his box was like 20, 20 some feet long, like mm-hmm. world series type stuff. Now before mm-hmm. there was ever world series type stuff. Well, he would just start him eight, 18 feet. Like he hardly ever backed him into a corner. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I tried to back him in the corner, he had an indoor arena and he didn't, he wanted to stay about six inches off the back. And that was, you know, so he was just, it didn't take him long to get over that, but that was just one of the things. And then as far as roping on him, he just knew to run to the steer. Walt run all the way to the steer, roped him, and he knew that he was supposed to go there. So the only thing that I really had to do to him was just refine him on the, you know, the scoring just a little bit. He scored great. I mean, when I say refine him, I'm just rodeo type stuff and then get him quick enough to where you could win on him because at first he was hard to be five seconds on because mm-hmm. he'd rope and he'd keep going to the steer. Mm-hmm. So it took me about, oh, I don't know, three, four months of just jackpotting on him, riding him and clay riding him. And we both rode him throughout the winter and I remember riding him at Denver and we started getting going and about the time Austin come around in March you could tell that he he got it figured out and then it was just from then on it was just rope get after it so I have I guess I have a lot of questions about the early so first of all how did he become your horse and not Clay's horse 
how did Clay not need a horse at the time? Uh, I think Clay had just bought one before that. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't own one. Mm-hmm. So I'd won enough throughout the summer healing to make a down payment on him. And then mm-hmm. I made, we made a deal that I had to pay so much by the first of the year. And then when I did good, I had to pay another finish paying him out. If we didn't do good on him, then the price was that. If we did good on him, then the price was going to be this. So mm-hmm. um, my healing, basically, the ironic thing about it is my healing actually bought him. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of how it went about. So he's, he was mine, and I went one good healing, and then I did good at the U.S. Finals and won, which would be the 13 now, won the nine down there with Britt Williams, and I, I was good to go, rodeo. for, <laughs> And it was game on. How much healing did you do on him? You said healing paid for him, I didn't but was it healing? Any, I didn't do any healing on him unless I had to rebuild at a rodeo, and that only happened a couple times. But <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days, huh? <laughs> oh, man, those were the days. People don't even know that you had to rebuild sometimes in the short round or at the NFR. That's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I never had to heal on him at the NFR because I threatened any of my healers. If I miss, you don't you dare head him. Don't you even think about it. He wasn't bad to heal on. Uh, in fact, one day I was just going to exercise him, and I was like, man, I'll just heal some on him because it'll be easier on him. I don't want to turn him off. So I was just going to hang back. And uh, I think it was at Wade Wheatley's. I know it was. Wade run up there and stuck one, you know, and just snappy as Wade is, squared him up good. And I'm just thinking, oh, we're just going to kind of – I'm going to have to ease him in there. And son of a gun, I about fell off the right side just because he just got in <laughs> – he just went in there like he was supposed to, mm-hmm. and if I would just heal on him, he'd be all right. But I mean, he was just a little, little strong and a little free to be really good at it. Mm-hmm. Now, did you had you ridden a lot of horses with that much thoroughbred in them before, or that much run to them? Did you like that kind of horse before you got him? Um, I'd never rode any. I mean, I've rode some good ones, but I never rode. Like he was like he as hard as he'd run once he got the rating part figured out, once he figured out what you wanted him to do, I think that's what made him so great is he would love to compete with you. Like you're at Cheyenne, steers out there 30 feet and running, and he's probably out there more than 30 feet by the time you actually hit mm-hmm. the barrier, you know, even if you get a really good start. And he run as hard as he possibly could, harder than he would on a normal setup until you got to the spot where he knew he felt like you were going to rope and then he'd raid off and let you rope. And then Mm -hmm. he would never overrun the situation anymore. So whether you were um, at the NFR or at Cheyenne or at just a longer setup, he competed right along with you. So if you wanted to run in there, he'd go all the way to him. He could kind of feel you. And if you wanted to go at him a little bit, um, he would go ahead and, rate a little sooner to give you a chance to be fast that's awesome that is awesome what when was the first time you realized that he was great like what was the moment that you were like wow I have the best head horse of all time did it take a while or did you feel that pretty early well I knew I had something pretty special when it was in I bought him in Labor Day weekend Mm -hmm. and then Billings the Nile was in October we went to that and then we went down to the U.S. finals and man I was Yes, I would have been 19 at the time, and I was running with Matt Robertson. Well, we were what would be a 15 team now, 
Mm-hmm. And after two in the open, we're leading it on two. And Clay comes up to me and goes, hey, I wouldn't sell that horse for nothing. My brother did, mm-hmm. you know, just in case someone asked. And I kind of knew then I was like, man, it felt just real easy. Like it mm-hmm. was like, man, I mean, we didn't do any good later on, but that wasn't his fault. That was, I can't even remember what happened. But I knew at that point that I had something that was pretty good. And then the more we rode him and watched Clay ride him the right three t- well we'd be buddied so we'd have to get a split so we he'd rope or i would rope and then three you know you'd have a three team split maybe or two and then he'd come back right on there and we'd both do good and then he kept working like it was no big deal while everybody else's you know half the head horses are ducking out of sight by the end of july he's still just probably the first year right around midsummer where you're like man we're both riding him and he's still just basically better than everything out here and working more consistent than anything. Mm -hmm. I think that was kind of about that time. And then, you know, I mean, as far as like greatness goes to me, like greatness is you got to have some longevity with your career. Like there's been a lot of really good horses and if they would have lasted 10 years, they might be, you know, some of the best of all time, but they might've only lasted two or three Mm -hmm. injury or something like that. Or, you know, so I think that point I knew I had, probably the best one going at the time i just didn't know my gosh i didn't know he was going to do what he did what he did and last as long yeah yeah i had no idea i knew he was tough but i mean tough all you you can be tough all you want Mm -hmm. and that was i mean that was that was kind of the point the first year when me and clay were both riding him yeah and and at 19 i mean you were gonna rodeo at that point i mean i'm just trying to what was going on in your life as a 19 year old header um, that Walt was kind thing. of the perfect storm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a thing at 19. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, well, I turned 20 right at the start of the, that year. First mm-hmm. year I made the finals, but I mean, I've been dreaming since I was a, you know, a kid and you wrote the, what they had the, you remember the rock and ropers? You're probably too young for that. Uh, yeah, those are before they're my fast, time. They're called pa- fast lanes now. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, they were, they didn't have the cool heads on them then, but I mean, you'd rope the dummy in the backyard dreaming of someday going to the NFR. So, you know, that's what I wanted to do mm-hmm. from the time I was young. I wanted to make the NFR. Well, he was, he was kind of the point where, cause the year before I was so sick of heading cause I wasn't, I didn't have a very good head horse and heading was zero fun for me. And he was kind of one and getting to rope with my dad that summer before I even bought him kind of got me to like and heading again. I was riding my brother's head horse and it was kind of fun again. And then he was the one that kind of kept me heading. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, I didn't have anything else to do. I wanted to go rodeo. I wanted to be gone all the time and I had nothing to be home for. So it was kind of the perfect, perfect time for me. Now tell me what you said, per- you didn't have anything, but did you know your wife? at the time or did Walt come before your wife? Walt came before my wife. Walt came before your wife. That's cool. Did Walt, did Walt help you? Did she, did she like Walt from the beginning? Was, was she kind of a hook like a puppy dog? Yeah. And (laughs) you know what, if you, if you would spend five minutes around him, anybody loved him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he spent some time at the vet after a colic and, and I mean that he was their favorite Mm -hmm. horse in there. And I mean, he was just one of those horses that you, you thought he could speak. I mean, mm-hmm. he just knew what was going on. He's just well-mannered. Um, he enjoyed being around him. He'd give you everything he got, whatever you wanted, whatever you asked of him. And, mm-hmm. 
I mean, so yeah, she loved him. She kept him going. She was a huge part of keeping him going because she took she took care of him as good as anybody could take care of a horse. Now, what were some of the things that he needed extra care for? Was I mean, did he have any leg problems? You said he colicked. Give me some of his health history before before well, he died. The first the first little deal that he had, he had no issues, tendons, nothing like that. I mean, that was he was the way he run, I think he he never put any pressure on his joints. But he did have ring bone. Mm-hmm. And about the third year I was riding him, would have been 2000, well, fifth year I was riding him, I guess. 2005 is when it got really bad. Mm-hmm. And it's to the point he couldn't hardly walk. And, um, and that's when Dr. Greg Venneclausen did some experimental deal on him, and it ended up fusing the joint. Well, when it mm-hmm. fused the joint, then he was good. So as far as the only other thing that he ever had before that that was an issue was he would tie up on you. Mm-hmm. So I had to feed him. He loved his alfalfa, but I had to feed him a small flake in the morning, small flake at night, and I would feed him a half a five-gallon bucket of equine senior morning and night. Hmm. And, and that that's the only him. that kept him from tying up. And if I just fed him alfalfa or something – he probably tied up on me seven or eight times before that, and then I think he tied up on me one time after that the rest of his career. So that was his only really mm-hmm. issue. And then he had the ring bone issue, and that mm-hmm. was he was out for about seven months. Mm-hmm. And once he come back, I mean, he didn't require anything. I'd get his hawks injected every four mm-hmm. or five months, and that was about it. I'd had to shoe him every, consistently because his foot would grow in. Because mm-hmm. because his pastern was fused, but other than that, I mean, as low maintenance as you could get. Now, you shot him, or did somebody? I else did shoot not. Him? Oh no. no, heck no! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if want, you're a shooter, Travis. <laughs> I don't want the responsibility of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotcha. No, er- Eric Thomas and Amarillo did a good job. I mean, he did a really good job. In fact, I would drive him there because it was important to get it done right, just so mm-hmm. we put, didn't put the pressure on. We didn't know how good a you know, if it was fused or if it would, you know, we didn't know. This was all experimental. So we had no idea how long it would last or if it would last. So we would get him shot every six weeks. And if we had to maybe fly Eric into Billings or if Hillary would have to drive down to Amarillo, if I was busy rodeoing, then we'd just have to do it. And it was uh, just what we did until, until he died. Well, okay, so you were 19 when you got him pretty quickly. I feel like a lot of 19-year-olds don't necessarily – know the best way to take care of a horse was it a learning curve for you or was your dad really adamant early on about horse care like did you well I mean you knew how to take care of one but like do you truly know how to take care of a head horse until you Mm -hmm. get out there and rodeo I don't think you do Mm -hmm. the good thing was is Clay had been out there and rodeoed a little bit so we Mm -hmm. were kind of traveling around so that helped you learn some of the stuff the some of the stuff how to manage him um and the main thing with like like where you travel, what you do with them and how you rope on them. Like mm-hmm. That's the main thing. How you, I think you take care of one and take care of good head horses. There are times that you don't need to, you know, reach a long ways and do that when you got a rodeo, you know, if you're trying to win 200 or 500 and you got Reno the next day, well, you don't want to just bomb out on him. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of manage them that way. And until you get out there and do it, it's uh it's just kind of a learning experience. And I had Clay there and he helped out a lot. And 
And so that's kind of, I just kind of leaned on that and then watch the other guys. You watch what speed did, watch what T Woolman did. Those were, those guys were out there. So you pay attention and learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that first NFR that you made on him, did you, was he a grand entry horse too, or did you guys bring a grand entry horse? He was my grand entry horse. And then yes. Yeah. Cause I only owned one. See, I mm-hmm. rodeoed my whole first year on one head horse. <laughs> <laughs> no backup. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, no backup plan. I, I guess Clay had one. So we kind of used it. We, between the two of us, we had two horses mm-hmm. and, uh, and maybe he bought one later on in the year. So maybe there was three between the two of us, but, oh, he was, he was deathly terrifying to ride as a grand entry horse <laughs> and a victory lap horse. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> Honestly, towards the end of it, uh, I got wise to it because you take a victory lap in the go round and I lost my hat the first time. Cause I was about to run over Tom Feller. If you guys, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I lost my hat going out the gate the very first time in the first go round I won because he was just running off with me and I went to put it back on about run over Tom Feller. So <laughs> how so much I fun think, did everybody else? Did they make fun of you or did no, you, I mean, you... I mean, they make, I mean, they made fun of me for losing my hat. Yeah. Course. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. yeah did you take course. a beating for losing your hat? I feel like, Oh that. yeah, sure. Wade Wheatley got on me pretty good about that. I mean, but that, I mean, that's all right. That's, that's good fun, man. That was, that was <laughs> what are friends for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, and then later on in the NFR, you went to go around, I had my other horse sitting there waiting Mm-hmm. And I would get off him so I could actually enjoy the victory lap. Other than that, I would just be on two hands pulling. And mm-hmm. when you had to rebuild at the NFR before they changed it in 2009, if I missed one, mm-hmm. he would run off. I couldn't even hardly build my loop. He would run off until he got to the spot, until he got next to the steer, then he'd slow down. So I had mm-hmm. to build my loop. Basically, it felt like he was running off. And then once he, then, then he'd, then he'd chill out once he got to his spot, but he couldn't, he could not idle to a steer. And that, I think that's honestly what made him great. It bought, I think it bothered him. You couldn't score and just, Hey, I'm just going to kind of lope 40 feet behind the steer. He just was going to go to a spot and that's, he couldn't idle. There was no idle in him until he got to the spot where you were going to rope. <laughs> Did he ever make a kid's horse? Like, was no. there, no, he, he no. never, no, no. I mean, you could, I mean, you could sit there and hold your kid on top of him, but I mean, he wasn't, no. Would you ever, I would never, ever, ever, ever turn a kid loose on him because no. he, I know he would run off no, <laughs> with, without a doubt. He would run off. That's, I guess that's a special one that makes yeah. him good, huh? Well, he wouldn't hurt you as long as yeah. you stayed on, but if he fell off, it might hurt. But I mean, he's, <laughs> as long as you stayed on him, you were going to be good. But I mean, there's no way I would put a kid on him. Mm-hmm. And, and Walt Vermendahl told me that he said, he's not a kid's horse. He will, he will not be a kid's horse. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. I don't want a kid's horse. <laughs> now you obviously mounted out your brother quite a bit. Clay rode him, uh, Trevor rode him. Did he have a, did a lot of guys hop on him? Did you let people ride him often or was it, he had uh, enough work? No, I mean, I, a lot of guys rode him. I mean, Matt Tyler rode him. I know Charles Pogue rode him. Steve Purcell rode him. At the beginning, a lot of guys rode him. Uh, Wade Wheatley rode him. Kevin Daniels. Um, trying to think who else did. And then Clay rode him a bunch. I don't know who else. I know I'm probably forgetting someone. Yeah, at the beginning, um, 
at the beginning he got, but once after he come back from his ring bone, I didn't. Uh, only like a couple guys got on him after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just because I was like, man, I, I had, I don't know what this is, so I'm not going to run a bunch of runs on him. You know, I'm going to run the least amount of runs possible on him just because I don't know. I don't know what it entails. And he, I mean, he lasted three years or three and a half years after that. So. Sure. Did you, you won so much on him. You won everywhere. It didn't matter what size of pen, but did you have a favorite place to ride him? I mean, you won Pendleton, Cheyenne, like. Yeah. Um, Cheyenne probably was the easiest money in the world. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Probably the easiest money. If you're going to say, I needed to make a car payment or a truck payment or anything. I would probably say, yeah, put me at Cheyenne just because I'm going to have the advantage no matter what, you know, you got the shorter scores or you say you have a normal setup, a 16 foot barrier or a 16 foot box. There's guys that can make some runs and your horse doesn't necessarily make the difference. Well, Cheyenne, he, he made the difference. And if, Gosh, I can't even hardly remember a time that I didn't win anything there or at least have the opportunity to win something there. And yeah. since he's been gone, it's been really hard at Cheyenne. <laughs> Cheyenne hasn't been as easy. We'll just say that. <laughs> didn't Cheyenne's you have trouble getting to Cheyenne? <laughs> didn't yeah. you have trouble getting to Cheyenne one year? Like, weren't you? Is sure there a did. story about that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we did. I understand. No, that's for a later date. Is that for another podcast? (laughs) That could be for another. No, I mean, if you have that story, that was, I just, I remember you guys running. Didn't you take a Jeep? We we took a, you know, they have a courtesy car at the airport (laughs) and Laramie and the guy, the pilot at, uh, it was supposed to fly us to Cheyenne. He decided he did, he wasn't going to because there was an air show and he could land there, but they wouldn't let him take off. So he refused to take us to Cheyenne. And we're paying this guy. Yeah. And uh, we're coming from Ogden. And then we landed in Laramie probably right when the performance started. Yeah. We're supposed to have a rental car there. We do not. That's like <laughs> 10 minutes away. And so all I know is I got thrown some keys to a courtesy van because one of the pilots said, Hey, you guys need it more than we do. So we, I took it cause I, I guess I had the, the family, most of the family. So I was the responsible one. And then we drove it and put the little blinking light on little yellow blinking light. I remember on top that. Of it so people would uh, get out of our way on the interstate. And That's what I remember, I remember the blinking light. <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, yeah, we, uh, I told the guys, I said, well, you guys are going to bail me out if we get in trouble for this one. So <laughs> I said, but they threw me the keys. So, you know, I, we were willing to chance it. And we showed up, oh, about three bulldoggers before they team roped. Yeah, I remember. I was standing there taking pictures, and I pinned your back numbers on. Like, yes. And I remember how panicked that was. I, sorry for the diversion, but I, no, no, when you brought up, brought up Cheyenne, I was like, oh, gosh, I just remembered that. That was hilarious. Yeah, then my steer hit the, hit the barrier and run right down the left fence, and I'm like, that's not how it's supposed to end. It's supposed to be a lot better story than that one. Yeah, it still makes a decent story. It would yeah, have been more fun right. if you'd have won Cheyenne. And exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Now, before we go any further, I want to take a break from this interview with Travis to tell you about our sponsors at Fastback Ropes. They've got a new robe out called the Cobalt, I mentioned that earlier, that launches July 1, and you're going to love it. 
I've talked to a ton of fastback endorsees who've had this rope under embargo for the last few months, and they've all told me how much this rope has helped their roping. Guys like Brock Hansen, Cesar De La Cruz, and Dakota Kirkenschlager have been testing it for you, and they're hooked. It's aqua blue, makes it easy to see, and it's a combination of poly and dyed nylon that makes for a really durable rope. Now, fastback dealers are welcome to pre-order it right now, but it's not available, like I said, until July 1. It's going to be available in a 31-foot head rope, in extra, extra soft, extra soft, soft, and medium soft, and the heel rope is going to be available, of course, in 35-foot, and available in soft, medium, soft, medium, and hard medium. This rope, you can buy it on FastbackRopes.com and at your Fastback dealers. All right, back to Walt. Do you have a most, like, a moment that when you think about Walt, it's what you think about, like an NFR or a, or a rodeo win or, or anything that, like, obviously Cheyenne, you said, was easy money, but what was most meaningful in the time that you rode Walt or a memory or anything uh, like that? The George Strait roping, by, I mean, that was the most meaningful one. And uh, when I was 3-5 at the, to put me back in the world title race there in the eighth round with Petska, Mm-hmm. Uh, that was those two moments right there. Um, man, the George Strait when I won first and second, it was man, you could just I knew it when I started the roping. You could just he would let you do anything you wanted. Well, the steers were pretty fresh, but a lot of these guys, man, that you got to be decently fast to get qualified. So, your horse, you know, that was one thing he was good about is he could be really fast the day before. Well, then he'd come back. Well, we wrote pretty fresh steers. Well, a lot of guys were jerking them down. I can't yeah. keep them on their feet or they're making them really hard to heal. Well, when I, when I saw that, I, I, there was a couple guys that I knew headers that were going to make it maybe kind of tough. And my brother was one and he had a horse to allow him to do that. Chad Masters was the other one. There was probably one other guy in there too. Um, I can't remember right now offhand, but I know those two guys had the horses that were, you know, two of the best horses that you were going to have to compete against because, even though you wrote fast, your horse had to hold up and stay with him just to keep him healable. Well, once I got through the first round, I'm like, man, that was just, you could just feel it. And he would just do whatever he wanted to do. And that point was really neat. Plus when it come down in your first and second high call, I knew that he was going to do good. Yeah. And when you know that what you're riding is going to make the right decision, no matter what I did, he was going to do good. That the confidence there is, uh, second to none. And then, you know, so then that turned out really good and that was a huge win. And, uh, then as far as like the eighth round at the NFR, when we had to get back in it and the three sixes winning it, I think, and we needed to win the round really to get back in it. And we had the steer to do it. That was just another moment that was just, you know, just typical of what he was. I mean, when you get in those big moments, he, he was just, he was better or just as good as he's always been in those big moments. Even if I was a nervous wreck, he wasn't. So. Do you believe, I don't know if it's anthropomorphizing too much, but do you believe that horses that he knew the big moments or it didn't matter to him? I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, they can feel a fly on their back. They can dang sure feel if I'm, my adrenaline's going for sure. You know, and, and I know where, I know how I felt in those situations. So as far as like, but he, it didn't affect him. If it affected him, it affected him in a positive way. 
and I've been on horses where I've been felt the same way. <laughs> it hasn't worked out near as good come the short round. They get to, you know, they'll get quick on you or they won't score. They'll take off early. And he just wasn't like that. He was just, man, it was just a, you know, he had a comfort right there between him and me or in, and whoever got on him usually if they would just let him do what he was going to do. Did you take anything for granted? Do you, looking back now, do you, do you think you took him for granted at all? I didn't take him for granted. Um, I think a little bit what I did was, um, I don't know if I, I mean, I practiced my butt off, but I don't know if I pushed myself enough to get better roping wise. Mm-hmm. Um, because I worked on, I worked on the shots that he was going to provide me. I see. And I perfected them. What I think I felt like I did. I got them and I was like, man, this is where I'm going to get. This is kind of the area I'm going to get when I was like, I don't think I worked hard enough on something that, but I didn't take it for granted. I just don't think I pushed myself to expand my roping, I guess, to what I, you know, was going to end up riding eventually. Yeah. And, um, that's something that I had to work on quite a bit after he was gone and I wish I would worked on it more. So it would have been a little smoother transition. Um, would it, can you take us to the day that you lost him? Yeah. Can you, can you tell us yeah. about that day and what was going on? And yeah, what, uh, that day. Yeah. That day sucked. Honestly, it really yeah. did. It wasn't a good day. Um, uh, just, and you know, a lot of things happened and, and it was actually a blessing that this happened, but I remember warming him up, Clovis slack, beautiful day out. It was back to back. I don't, we're about, I don't know, eight, 10 bulldoggers away from team roping. And I always blew him out. Like I blew him out every, every time before I run, because that's just when he felt his best, just get him going. Well, I blew him out in the warm-up arena, and I just didn't feel like – I was like, man, he just didn't feel like he – so I was like, I'll do it again. And I ain't the first time that's happened. Well, when I get done blowing him out the second time, then it like it's like he spooked at a shadow, and then yeah. he didn't stop spooking at a shadow, and then I knew. And, yeah. So we probably made it a good 60, 70 feet side passing, not wanting to go down. And then we ended up on the back of a well, drag or whatever they worked the arena with at Clovis, yeah. which I got out of there pretty clean. I don't know how I got out of there pretty clean, but he ended up laying on the drag. So, I mean, you know, looking back on it, I like to think, well, you never did hit the ground. So, you know, I mean, and he didn't freak out and it was like, he didn't want to go down and that's just kind of how he was. So, yeah, but yeah, that was a, that was a hard moment for the family. So I'm glad my wife didn't see it. Yeah, that was going to ask. She wasn't there. She was there. She She was there. She was in the stands, and it happened behind the stands. So, you know, that was just a bad deal. So Um, that was the end of my three-month stretch where I lost my good yellow horse to call or I didn't lose him, but he was done after that. And then I lost my other horse to liver disease. And then he was the last one, and I left with a crippled practice horse and a pony Ugh. leaving California. You did not go to Barry Walt. I did not. And that was, uh, that was, that was a little hard for me and the family. So I didn't really want to go back through it again. 
So, um, no, Bert took care of it and he was gracious to do it at his place under a big, nice oak tree. And I mean, it was a perfect spot for him. That's, that is very nice of him. I guess that was, yeah, that has to be, that had to be impossible. And you were kind of, you were basically a foot then after that. What did the rest of that year look like? Oh, the rest of that year, um, man, it was challenging. Just, I don't know. I mean, I was out there and my daughter had got in a little wreck. She'd got run over by the horse, you know, about a month before that. And it was just kind of a rough little couple months. And, uh, you know, everybody turned out safe and God healed everybody and kept everybody safe. And that was awesome. And then just, I ended up buying a horse from Shane Phillip, nice horse. And then just kind of had some ups and downs later of that throughout the year. Cause I had a really good start and then it was hard to make the finals. I was got behind and shoot. I was high call at the BFI and ended up losing my rope to win it that year. And then it was just kind of a struggle and then I started roping with Rich Skelton and then we just kind of picked it up ended up making the finals and doing good I mean it was one I thought it was one of the most uh it was the most challenging year I had rodeo in period mm-hmm. and uh still made the NFR still had a good year and it wasn't just a whole lot of good things that happened throughout that year but uh, you know perseverance it's a good yeah. thing for you sometimes I mean I guess so what does I mean, this is a dumb question, but I feel like there could be a lot to it. Like, what does losing a horse like Walt do to a roping career? And and what has the struggle been to find another one? Well, when it it happens all at once, see, I thought I was preparing because I knew the time was going to come when I couldn't ride him. Well, I'd bought a couple horses and I was working on, you know, keeping myself mounted. And then I lost them all at once. And once you lose them all at once within three months, man, it just kind of set me back. And like I said, I should, have. and then I was having to change my rope and right in the middle of that to adjust to what I was riding. So, you know, it was just, it just got harder and more of a struggle. And then after that, um, you know, I never found anything like him. I found some good horses and rode some good horses, but then after that, my kids started getting older, and then I didn't really want to go certain spots. And then once I stopped wanting to really be there, I wanted to be home more than I wanted to be out there. Even if you are roping good, it just doesn't seem like you win like you should. You know, you got to, you, if you're going to rodeo against guys that are that talented and that good, you got to be all in out there. And I think that was the main thing once my kids started getting older is the drive and the passion to go uh, be out on the road to do it, you know, it, you'd kind of lose it. And so that was more than anything. I mean, yeah. I mean, but missing a horse like that, I mean, it's like taking away one of the best parts of your team. Yeah. And so you got to adjust and uh, it, it doesn't make it easier. I know that. But, um, if you found another one, if you were, if you somebody sent you an outside horse to ride and all of a sudden you thought wow this horse feels like Walt would you would it make you want to go rodeo again it would make me want to go to some bigger events sometimes and uh but at the way with what my kids because I've been asked that a couple times now because I haven't rodeo for two years and 
as long as it didn't sacrifice me watching my kids do certain things and being around them, then I would go to a few more things here and there. Would I full time it again? The answer is probably at least not until my youngest is out of school and then I'm going to be in my mid forties when that happens. So likelihood not, I'd probably, you know, get them, uh, circuit rodeo go to some big jackpot stuff like that and then make people want ask me to buy them and try and talk me into selling them and i just would be that old guy that wouldn't do it <laughs> it would just keep them you know yeah <laughs> that's probably what that's probably what i do i get <laughs> kind of have some fun with it <laughs> what what kind of numbers were you offered for walt over the years no one i never got offered anything nah I promise you, I never got offered nothing because I think no, I, there wasn't a price that you could put on him that I would have pro- that I would have sold him. Really? Yeah, I say that, and people are like, "Well, would you sell him for that?" And I'm like, "I don't think I would." I said because, man, then it feels like you're selling, like you don't put. I don't know, like it's not selling. I mean, it just feels like now you're just putting money above everything. And I was like, I, I don't think there's no way that I could have sold him and no matter what, because money comes and goes. That's what I learned. The older you get, money comes and goes. You know, you got the memories of your family, your kids, watching them grow up, stuff like that. And when, you, when they're family, they're, you can't put a price on it. And I know that sounds, might sound foolish in a way, but that's just kind of how I, how I feel about certain things. And, you know, I mean, you win so much. You ask all these people that have won all that they've won in their career, most of the money spent. So, but you always have that horse or you always have those those memories. And if they're family, man, they're just not for sale. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What made him run with his ears up? That was something everybody remembers about Walt. What? His ears forward. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have no idea. He's the only horse that I know that just did it. I don't know. If, have you, do you know of any other horse that's ever did that? Not in my memory. Not like, no, no not I every time. I just look at it as, man, that was just, he was just unique about it. I think he just loved doing what he did. I, I think he just loved it so much that it was just like, I'm, I'm just having a blast out here doing it. I think that's uh, because I've never seen another horse do it. Yeah, me neither. Did you ever look for any siblings of his or were there any that were ever good or there were some, and there was a couple good ones. I think, uh, I think that, I think Dustin birds dollies related to him. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there was another guy in Montana that had a, that circuit rodeoed Brant Davis had a, had a nice horse that was related to him. Um, I, I looked for him, but none of them were out. None were full. Uh, mm-hmm. I looked for the mom. Because the mom was the one that had the thoroughbred in her, mm-hmm. and uh, not uh, there was no full brothers to him. Completely full brothers. There were some half brothers to him, half sisters, but there was no. And I don't think uh, I think we couldn't find the mom, or the mom died, or something like that when we were looking. Gotcha. Do you um, are you still actively looking for good horses, or if one comes along, that'd be cool. I mean, I look, I mean, I mean, cause I'm at a lot of ropings and a lot of jackpots and do a lot of roping schools now, put on a lot of ropings and still compete at some circuit rodeos just cause I have, you know, the desire to compete still not, 
not all the time, but just a couple, few months out of the year, still fun. Um, and my kid wants to run barrels. So if we're going to do that, then I would just, will be there doing something too. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I kind of keep my eye out on something cause I, I enjoy it more than anything. Like if you've ever been on something great or rode something, mm-hmm. they're just fun. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're just fun to ride. They're fun to compete on. So more than that, I mean, if you're going to do something, heck do it with, do it with the best, you know, cause they're just, it's a lot more fun to ride a great one than one that, you know, is just okay. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Now, do you enjoy putting on the rail pins? Is it your job or are you passionate yeah. about it? Right. Yeah. It's part of my, yeah. It's part of what I do. Um, it's a part of, part of, you know, the rope pins, the rope school, stuff like that. Yeah. I enjoy it. I've gotten to, you know, the last couple of years, I've gotten to know a lot of people that I haven't normally got, you know, that I've known, but I've actually gotten to know them. And it's a lot of fun. You get to see the same faces. I get to go, you know, around and hang out with them for the weekend. And, and it's good. It's a good transition. I'm, I'm busy now. I'm probably busier than I was, but I'm home more. If that makes yeah. any sense. So, sure. um, so it's good. It's a good transition. It was, uh, it was the right decision to make. And yeah, I do enjoy it. Are you going to go to, are you going to, stay in Montana all winter? Do you go to Arizona in the winter or are you full-blooded Montanan right now? I am, I, I, I am the full-blooded hangout in the winter. I, yeah, I would, man, it needs to be nicer up here in the winter. I know that. That's all I got to (laughs) say. I, I coach my youngest in basketball. I have the last couple of years, so I don't really get to go anywhere. And that, and I watch, you know, my oldest plays too. Um, and that's kind of the stuff that they're like, oh, you want to go to Arizona for a month? And I'm like, I could go. But I'm like, if I do that, then it's, then it's kind of the same thing. I don't want to be gone that much. Yeah. Unless they go with me, then that's different. But they got school and they got that. So, and I got away a little bit, went to, the, went to Vegas, went to the World Series finals this year, me and my wife, and actually got to see Vegas in a different light than I've ever seen it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was... Uh, it was more fun to compete at the rodeo, but it's still, it was different. It was fun. It was nice to get away for a little bit. So, Awesome. Well, I really hope you find that other great horse and you end up back on the road when you're ready. But <laughs> <laughs> but for now, we'll <laughs> for now, I like that you are always available to answer my phone calls more than ever before. <laughs> and <you're>, always. <laughs> always. It's, it's awesome. And I'm glad I, the Ropens have been good, though. You're It's the regular Everything. ropings have been good. I put on some World Series ropings. They're good, too. Um, so we're just getting in the swing of things. Got the World Class Invitational coming up. The Open that had 75000 Yeah. Uh, coming the first weekend in June, uh, May 30th, 31st. That's coming first fast. And second. Yeah, it's coming fast. So getting ready for all that, that's a, that's a big one. So um, we're excited about that. And then I got, you know, travel softball we get to do every weekend in between all that stuff. So. It's good things. Holy cow. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I am so glad you're getting to enjoy your family, Travis. And um, I miss pitting back numbers on you when you're right. coming in hot to Cheyenne. <laughs> but I am glad that, that you're doing the family thing. I think that's just so awesome and valuable. Yeah, and if you hear that I got a good horse, you'll know you'll know the game <laughs> plan that I got. So I will. I'm the next great one to. comes around, you'll know that people will be like, you just won't sell him. Like, <laughs> yep. Exactly. Just going to be that curmudgeon that just, yeah, just <laughs> that's no, all. You can only look. You can't have him. You can only look. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Well, thank you for hanging with us, and I appreciate it, Travis. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Before we go, I want to thank Travis for his time. He was very patient and very wonderful to work with, as always. Travis, thank you again. Everybody, if there are other horses that you think you want to hear their story, please let us know. We love to tell them. Shoot me an email at cshafer at aimmedia.com. Thank you all. Remember to leave us a review. Share this with your friends. Make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to. And have a great week. We'll talk at you soon. Hey, before you leave, remember, thank Fastback Ropes for supporting coverage of the sport of team roping and supporting telling these stories. Fastback, with their new rope, the Cobalt, has been supporting us, and we completely appreciate the way that they are diving in and promoting the sport of team roping. So thank you, Fastback. Everybody remember, when you are making your purchasing decisions, to think about the kind of brands that bring you the stories that you want to hear, just like this one with Travis Tryon and Walt. And remember, check out that cobalt on July 1.